comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, 7 through 9, and 12 through 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with contracts. Because we agree to contracts all the time, sometimes unknowingly even. We sign contracts when we get loans or rent property or need an agreement that says that this is how we're going to conduct our affairs, our business together going forward. And the idea being that if a contract is broken or violated, there are usually agreed upon stipulations of how to end that relationship, how to walk away from another, one another legally and bound by that. And even if all goes well, well, contracts usually have an expiration date. They assume that the relationship will part ways at some point. Now as Christians, we are part of a, an ancient tradition of those who make covenant with God and with one another. We express and we recognize God's covenant through baptism as we did last Sunday. And we made a lot of promises, didn't we, due to that baptismal covenant. Through Holy Communion, you will hear echoes of covenant today and who we are called to be. Confirmation, church membership, marriages, we have covenants that are sacred to us. But if we're not careful, we can confuse covenant with contract. Covenants are not contracts. Yes, both show us how to conduct our affairs, how to live together, perhaps warn against breaking them even, but when we talk about covenants, we do so with a sense of sacredness, of, of holiness, of community, of, of fellowship with one another and with God. And we do so with the idea of an eternal relationship, with, again, with God and one another, not one that ends, one that is forever. 
And through covenant, God has shown us ways to live together. But also within covenants, we find ways to mend our relationships as well. When we fail to live as we have agreed to. And I would propose that from cover to cover, the scriptures are full of narratives that show us how and why God makes covenant with us. And these encounters reveal that we have a habit of breaking them. And they each show us again what it looks like to mend them. So this month in worship and in sermons, I want to consider what it means to make and to break and to mend covenants with God and each other. And I pray that this gives us an opportunity to consider the covenants we make as people of faith. And how we might from time to time need to to revisit and to reconsider those covenants and the vows that we make. And along the way, maybe there are some vows and promises and faith that we need to be mindful of. Without a doubt, we live in a world where a willingness for us to love our neighbors in just ways is being strained. And the commandments and the covenants that we have call us towards changing and reshaping and reforming the world and it's a much needed call I believe and one that we have been called to participate in so today's message is about the Ten Commandments and it's a rather well-known passage but it's not the first or the only covenant of our faith story there are many of them actually Adam and Eve's story is covenantal they were asked to live in creation freely But they were to agree to do so without seeking to obtain the full knowledge of God represented by the tree of life and the apple. And we know that one very well, that, well, they break covenant and they eat of that fruit. And there are ramifications. And a relationship is harmed and needing to be mended with God. Adam, Abraham and Sarah, that also is a, a story of covenant with God. But when things did not go as they expected, when things didn't move along as fast as they thought they should, well, they break covenant and take things and matters into their own hands. And that leads to a whole host of really painful realities. In fact, these commandments that we have read today come to Israel as a result of yet another broken covenant. Joseph, after he had established himself as an asset for Egypt, convinced a Pharaoh to welcome Israel into Egypt as resident immigrants. And they thrived together for generations. Yet generations later, a new Pharaoh was in place and he forgets and he breaks that covenant. And he fears their great numbers. And he decides to subdue them by enslaving the Israelites for Egypt's gain. This, again, leads to generations of suffering and oppression. And this story is central to our identity as people of faith. It identifies God as one who hears the cries of those enslaved and brutalized and oppressed. It reminds us that God calls prophets throughout to redeem and free and to speak. Moses, and up until our own day, God has consistently done this. There have been many like this particular Pharaoh since then. Pharaohs have shown up many times in our human history to oppress and to slave. And we have a few of those in our own history as well that we continue to struggle with for 400 years now. 
Now this story takes place just after God has freed Israel. And as Walter Brueggemann points out, the Exodus is a powerful acknowledgement of that brutalizing domain of human history from which we have been emancipated. At the outset, the Ten Commandments named this God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord of the Exodus. I am the God who emancipated you. I am the God, the Lord of new promises. And it is a message to every generation, every governance, then and now, that with God, we must always honor the humanity of people. Bondage and injustice have no place in the world. This is a universal, a world truth. And would-be pharaohs need to know this. And economics and greed are powerful forces, but left unchecked. Our demands and consumption can lead us to treat people with hostility and indifference. We may value those who add to our economic stability, as Israel did, but we struggle to value their humanity. Now, this covenant means to show Israel that they belong to God. They do not belong to the pharaohs of the world, Egypt or otherwise. This covenant means to emancipate, unshackle, and free people for such a way of life. It means to upset the oppressive roles of our world that exist that tell us that one person or peoples might have power over another. Therefore, these commandments exclude and they reject idols of racism or greed or nationalism and it empowers us, those who covenant with God, to never be subjects of such things and to never subjugate. These are the things for which the Ten Commandments are born. It is this context that God speaks them on the side of a mountain. And maybe for emphasis sake, this mountain was smoky, it was fiery, and it was trembling all the while. Now I was five or six years old when the Stone versus Graham ruling was decided. I had thought, forgotten all about that until this week. But it was said that we can no longer put commandments posted in civic places or in schools. And I remember growing up as a child seeing those. And I also remember the yard signs that came out soon after. Two tablets of blue ink on a white plastic poster board. And it became one of the culture wars that we often seem to face in life and in faith. I'm particularly fond of a story that the Reverend Tom Long tells. Someone once waged a more creative fight to have the commandments posted in all civic places. And in fact, this person on his campaign trail used to truck a monument of the Ten Commandments that weighed 5,280 pounds. It's a big rock. And he carried this from one appearance after another on a flatbed truck. And a journalist named Joshua Green saw firsthand how they unloaded this truck. And he wrote that a 57-foot yellow I-beam crane that spans the ceiling of the Clark Memorial's warehouse, drops down to receive the rock from its flatbed chariot. And even this one, a five-ton crane, buckled visibly under the weight. Now this image of a massive, heavy stone is a helpful metaphor for how we can misconstrue the true nature of covenant and commandments. We can at times treat them as spiritual contracts between us and God and the world instead of a covenant. 
And Long writes that for many, the commandments became an encumbrance placed on the personal behaviors. And at the center of each of the commandments was a wagging finger saying, Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. This isn't new. This challenge we have with understanding the nature of commandments is, is nothing new at all. Jesus struggled with this very same thing in the Pharisees who made the law heavy for people. He came saying that I did not come to burden you, but to yoke with you, to lift you up, not to hold you down. And Isaiah, long before Jesus, wrote something similar. These things you carry are loaded as burden on weary animals. And one ancient Jewish midrash or commentary said that the people had really had little choice to accept the Torah because it seemed as though God plucked up Mount Sinai, placed it over their head, and threatened to drop it if they did not accept them. So how do we then? How do we overcome the temptation to burden ourselves with religious contracts and, and become a covenant and remain a covenant people? I think it means that we must remember that God desires to set us free and to redeem. That's where the commandments are birthed from. A desire to free, unshackle, redeem, and free. A full life. God means to protect the whole community, to refuse to accept enslavement for flourishing individuals and communities. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Psalm 19, which speaks to our Torah, our laws, our commands, our covenants. He writes this, the revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. Scholars and rabbis have long noted that the first five laws of the Torah center on our relationship with God. And the next five laws center on our relationship with one another. And this is how Jesus spoke of the law himself. He was asked, which of these ten or more laws are most important? And he framed his answer not by pointing out one of these to say that maybe murder is worse than being jealous. We can make that argument. He doesn't do that, though. Instead, he brings the whole body of the commandments into one perspective of a loving and a neighborly and a uniting God. The many working together for one outcome. I do believe that this can disarm any culture war argument we want to have about our temptations that we have to wage. And it invites us to evaluate the measure of our faithfulness by asking how are we willing to love God, love neighbors, love self. We cannot love God without loving our neighbor. We cannot love our neighbor without loving ourselves. We cannot love ourselves without loving God and neighbor. The three must work as one. What then? How are we to go get past the obstacles that we want to put in place that separate us from the love of God? How can we, in our sacred covenants, find a way to set aside all things that keep us at odds, to subjugate our oppress, our enslave? Now, many of us grew up in the church thinking that what mattered most was avoiding punishment and consequences. 
We can feel as if that we must conform and to get through life with ha having as few marks against us as possible. Many of us grew up thinking that if we did all the right things, we'd be rewarded for it. Good consequences were a sign of good behavior and good living, right? Hard work and prosperity were proof that one was following the commandments and being obedient to God. But if you've read the scriptures lately, there's one story after another that shows us that this can be misguided. Think about those Christ called to walk with him. Seems that we have within us this powerful urge to think that religion is about conforming and that being sure we do exactly what God wants us to do and expecting to be rewarded for it. But we can be like students whose motivation is to get the A, to avoid making any bad grades, but never embracing the fact that, well, some of life's lessons come from the failures, from the changes, and from recognizing greater truths. In contrast, our covenants, they are meant to shape our nature and our character, and they are meant to reveal to us ways and defined by love to make and mend our common life together, our global life together. Perhaps it helps to remember the story Jesus tells after his lesson that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind, and love our neighbor as yourself. Immediately after saying that, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that guides us towards seeing that when we see suffering, then we must feel something. And then be drawn into a deep relationship that leads to healing and sacrifice. This is exactly how God responded to Israel's suffering. So as covenant people, we are to see and feel and respond. The Samaritan was an enemy of the man in the ditch, yet he did not inquire as to whether or not his enemy deserved help. He did it because that's who he was. Likewise, we have in Christ covenanted. We have promised to care for the suffering, help the hurting, love the enemy, forgive those who sin, and grieve with those who mourn. This is what covenant people do. This, Jesus tells us, is what it looks like. And I'm convinced that remembering our covenants can change lives and the world. I am further convinced that there is an urgency that we do so. So may we then see and feel the pain and the grief and the desire for a more just world from a long list of families like that of Brianna Taylor's and work towards greater dismantling of racism and injustice in our world. May we see and feel the pain of every single family around the world who grieves the loss of loved ones due to this pandemic. And then, do all we can to protect each other from an invisible virus with visible love. May we see and feel the stress, the risk, the danger, and the anxiety of those on the front lines. Policemen, nurses, teachers. And then, Find a way to encourage and support them. And then may we see and feel the groans of creation that cry out with wind and fire and flood and then do all we can to be stewards of creation. We cannot choose one of these. We are to be part of all of these. We are called to be one in Christ. Before I finish, I think it's worth noting. It's interesting to see what Moses did with the commandments 
after he had shared them. Because after he shared them, he placed them in the ark. And we're never told that he looked at them again. Why do this? How put these things away and never look at them again? I suppose it's because Israel, well, they were to keep the commandments in plain sight in their living. No one can live freely while holding heavy stones. May we also live out our covenants in plain sight. May our covenants live in our hearts. May our covenants be evident in our living and our love towards one another. And may we so obviously live as people of God's covenant that the world must take notice, all captives are set free, and where we are known by our love. Thanks be to God. Amen.